on up, Rich. One of the things that uh, has a great joy uh, for me as a pastor is to see all the young leaders that are being risen. And of course, you know Rich, he's one of our pastors now. We is now a pastor of the West Side, and he is working with Ruth as a leader of that. He's also a direct, the director of Uffizi, who is uh, a ministry that's trans-church across our whole city, helping primarily with homelessness, but lots of other things, working with the city, the government, and all different things that we're doing. But I wanted to introduce him. He's our youngest pastor, of course. And uh, I wanted to uh, say that one of the things I love about Rich is that he has a great love for Christ. Once you get to know him and spend time with him, you'll recognize that he loves the Lord very much. And you'll also know that he has natural counseling gifts and a wisdom that goes with that, where when he's caring for people, God speaks through him, not just in terms of his own experience, but the wisdom that God has given and the classes that he's taken. And, of course, he's a learner. He's a student. He's got a brilliant mind. And so I'm uh, looking forward to all that God will speak through him today. God bless. Wow, what an introduction. I'm going back in time. Good morning, family. I'm so glad to be with you all this morning um, in this sanctuary, this safe place where we gather to worship the living God. Amen? It's funny, you know, for a long time in my own Christian journey, I didn't want to be in a place like this, a church. That's funny, right? Because so much of being Christian revolves around the idea of going to church. And that was just it. I had become a Christian in college, reading the teachings of Jesus and falling in love with this radical teacher that cared for the poor and the orphans and widows. We see him stand up to injustice. And Jesus just loves everyone he encounters really, really well. And I fell in love with this Jesus guy through the religious studies program at UCSB. And I joke of that, I'm probably the only person that came to Christ in the religious studies program at UCSB. But I remember going to my professor at the time and asking her, hey, um, I'm sorry to bother you, but is there anyone that follows Jesus of Nazareth nowadays? And I can remember her face ever so clearly looking up from her papers with this kind of dubious grin, like, are you kidding me? And I, with this urgency, kept prodding. And I was like, no, seriously, who follows this guy? He's incredible. And she looked at me and kind of laughed and said, Christians, Rich, Christians follow Jesus. Jesus, the Christ, Christ Christians. And um, it's funny because without missing a beat, I said, oh, no, 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 no. I've met me some of them, but I'm wondering who actually follows this guy. (laughs) Whoa, right? I clearly didn't meet, you know, you wonderful folk. (laughs) Um, After that, she laughed a bit and told me to be a pastor. And um, then I joined a church. So think about that for a moment. What drew me to Jesus, what I liked so dang much about this teacher, was how he related to people. To continue my spiritual journey, as I said, I joined a church. 
And I began looking around and I learned to be Christian. You guys know what that means, right? I stopped drinking because that was a big no-no. And I stopped smoking. And if you can imagine, I stopped dancing. Because I was in the Christian fraternity, and our tagline was the fraternity for eternity. And this is no joke. This is all true. And um, I was told not to dance because dancing only led to one thing. And that's what I knew of being Christian. And so I became Christian. I learned all the right phrases. I adapted my speech to fit in with my new friends. I even had an accountability buddy. And the most shocking part about all of it was that I was increasingly becoming more and more sad. There was this dysphoria that existed, a general dissatisfaction with my life. So much of my life had changed, and I knew or I thought that I was doing all the right things, but I had put on this new faith like a new varsity jacket, and I was really, really proud of it. And I was sad, and I was lonely, and I was dissatisfied. Now, I want you to hear this, church. I don't mean to imply that in Christian community, there's no place for sadness and loneliness. But in my journey, I felt this ever-increasing dissatisfaction with how I was living my life in this so-called Christian community. I started becoming angry at this persona that I had developed. The idea of a persona is a Jungian psychological term, and it is this social face we put on for the world. And my Christian persona, frankly, sucked. Church for me became a place that I had to put on this mask and become something I really wasn't inside. I had to perform. I had to put on the outside smile, and I had to say the right things and act the right way. And in doing so, people loved me, and I was one of the up-and-coming pastors that was doing everything oh so right. And it worked, like all things, until it didn't. Life hit. My friendship group went through some really really challenging and difficult stuff. And what I knew of God and church community at that point in my life was way too small to handle all that I was feeling and thinking. The mask I was wearing didn't work. Every day, we're tempted to put on a persona. Sometimes it's our identity in work, being the doctor or the teacher Sometimes it's our identity in relationships, being the friend or the mom or the dad. And sometimes it's our religion, being the Christian we should. Our reading today comes out of a letter by Paul, a great man of the faith, to the church in Ephesus. If you could grab your Bibles, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. It'll be up here. But we're going to jump around a bit, so open your Bibles. It'll be some fun. So this is Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going in verse 25, and we'll continue to 5-2. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. 
For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on you while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed with for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for the saints that have gone before us, and we're thankful for this word today. It is alive today, just as it was back then, and we ask that as we study it and as we devour this word, that you are with us and you are speaking and your spirit is working in our hearts and minds, that we may be able to take off any persona that we may have and come truly before you, ready to put on the new life in Christ. Amen. So let me give you some background here on the church in Ephesus. I would contend that Paul is pretty happy with most of the going-ons here. In the beginning of this letter, he says that he has not stopped giving thanks for them once he heard of their faith, and later he commends them for their love. And this church was kind of a big deal in the ancient world. It was visited by Paul Timothy, Achilla, Priscilla, Apollos, John, and maybe even Mary, mother of Jesus, had all visited and interacted with this body of believers at one point or another. It's somewhat of a thriving church. And at this point in his letter, where Paul is giving instruction for Christian living, it's him writing a how-to guide for the Christian life. That's a pretty big challenge. And it speaks to the glory and the magnitude of God to see how much truth is contained in such short verses. I'm going to start us today a little before our reading. If you walk with me to verse 22, it'll give us a little more background. Paul begins saying, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I really want us to focus on these two phrases, to put off and to put on. Now, I won't bore you too much with the Greek, um, but I will say it because it does sound really beautiful, and as some of you know, I'm Greek. <laughs> so these words of put off and put on are apotethemi and induyo, and both of them are clothing words. Think for that. Think of that for a moment. 
He's asking us to put off or take off the old self like clothing, remove it, and to put on the new self that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He continues saying to put off apatithemi again, but this time he says, put off falsehood. In Greek, it's the lie or the pseudos. Take off the lie. When I started going to church and acting Christian, I wanted to simply put on the new mask. I went to this new group and I started acting and playing the part. And that's just it. I was acting. I was attempting to imitate the people I saw. And that, friends, gets you in a world of trouble. I know for myself, I put on this new mask and I haven't done the hard work for taking off the old first, of taking off the lie. It's kind of silly when you think about it. Here I was, ragged and dirty in old clothes, and then I thought I'd just put on these new clothes that would make me fit in right on top of the old ones that I was wearing. I was replacing one lie with another, and I was simply swapping personas. That's a dangerous game, friends. No matter what persona you're putting on, the doctor, the friend, the Christian, the mom or dad, the brother or sister, We, as Christians, are not called to imitate people or ideas of people. There's only one who we are called to imitate, and that is God himself. Be imitators of God. It is truly poetic how this comes about. We get Paul giving us this language of taking off the old self and telling us to put on the new. And then we get a list, an actual list of what that looks like. Paul says, stop lying. Do not hurt others in your anger or hold on to your anger. Don't steal. Don't say rotten words to one another. Don't be bitter or unforgiving. And later he says, don't be sexually immoral. It's a long list of don'ts. And if you're like me, you may not be a fan of don'ts. They seem so negative. But if you look for it, these don'ts are all around grieving the spirit. And to truly understand what that means, to grieve the spirit, we need to understand what Paul is contrasting Christians with. So a few verses before, in Ephesians 4.17, Paul pleads to the church saying, So I tell you this, you must no longer live like the Gentiles do. They do not understand because they are separated from God. The Gentile is literally those who are not Jewish. But in this context, Paul defines the Gentile, those who are separated from God. They simply do not know him. Paul continues saying, this is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. And that's just it. We all have a relationship with God. And that, my friends, is just that, a relationship. Paul instructs us to live this way because not doing so puts a strain on our relationship with God. 
And it, it is that relationship, how God relates to us, that we are called to imitate with others. So the question becomes, what exactly does that look like? And friends, we have this whole book right in your lap of stories and histories of how God relates to his people. And if there's one thing that I've learned, it's what Paul reiterates here that echoes through all of the stories and all of the histories of God. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You know, I used to be one of those guys who only really liked to read the New Testament. Some of you may be like that with me, right? There appears to be a lot of more happiness and joy and all that love stuff in the stories of Jesus in the New Testament. And for a long time, I would look at the Old Testament and I found it hard to reconcile with the new. I'm sure I wasn't alone of that. Some of you have felt that way, yes? I've heard many people ask me just that. How does this God of fire and brimstone in the Old Testament align with this God of love and sacrifice in the New Testament? And here's the thing, with all of these great questions, if you have them, so have people again and again, over and over, throughout the history of the world. And I'll tell you that as I've soaked in these histories and stories of not only the Old Testament, but the whole Bible, one thing becomes consistently, overwhelmingly clear. There are laws, there are many do's and don'ts, there are summons to obedience, There are times when God laments, and there are times when God judges. But repeatedly, there exists an overwhelming and unconditional forgiveness that comes from God, often and seemingly out of nowhere. It is not always immediate. We see God get angry, and we even see God get silent for a while. But he reaches out into relationship with Israel once again. Is that not the heart of all good relationship? It's everywhere, friends. Think back to the very first story of God relating to man and woman in the garden. Immediately after Adam and Eve have disobeyed God, we see God's first words as, where are you? God goes out into the world valuing relationship with his people. God is kind. He's compassionate and he is forgiving. And it is in this relationship that we are called to put on this new self and live. It actually is not a series of don'ts, but of really good do's that describe healthy relationship. Speak truthfully reconcile, share, build each other up, be kind, be compassionate, forgive. To live as Christians, we strip ourselves of the old nature. We take off the mask. We take off those old clothes because they no longer suit us in our relationship with God. This is not how we relate to one another. In true Christian community where we imitate God, there is no longer need for a persona. We now live in truth, which means we live in true relationship. 
In real Christian community, we are offered the freedom to be our real selves. Well, being real, we see the highs and the lows. We rejoice when others rejoice. We mourn when others mourn. We lament together in the pain of this world. And all of that is okay. And we do it together. This is real relationship without the mask. And it's true that in true relationship, there will be times when our clothes get a little dirty. They will be scuffed with anger, or we will have the dirt of words and the ways we tore down rather than built up stuck on us. But as we imitate Christ daily, we take off this old self and put on the new and are transformed from glory to glory, becoming more and more like him. Family, I love this place. This is a safe place, a place where we do not have to wear the personas and the masks of this world. And I love that we get to come together to worship God and together imitate the beautiful relationship of forgiveness, of love, and grace. Will you please pray with me? God, we thank you for first loving us. In the midst of our sin and our brokenness, you reached out in the world and you showed us what it's like to be a merciful and loving, compassionate and forgiving father. And it is seeing that relationship that we are called to imitate and do the same as your children of God.